Hello, this is episode 301 and in it, I'm going to share with you what's being discussed in architecture for 2024. Now, as with any industry, there are loads of conversations that can happen behind closed doors and as someone who might be planning to build or renovate, it can be so useful to gain some insight into what's being discussed, prioritised and cared about inside the industry to see its potential impact on your plans and project. A lot of my conversation here is going to be a recap on the discussions and presentations that happened during the 2023 National Conference for the Australian Institute of Architects, which was held in early October 2023 in Canberra. It was a really interesting time and having attended these conferences since the late 1990s, I'm amazed to see how much the industry is shifting and changing. So I'll talk about that a bit too. Now, remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that I share, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 301. That's the numbers 301. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee, the architect behind Undercover Architect. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've been working in the architectural industry since 1993. I founded Undercover Architect in mid-2014 and since then it has operated online to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building or renovating your home. Undercover Architect supports hundreds of thousands of homeowners across the world through their project journeys via this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship online program, Home Method. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally. Whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, it's here to support and guide you on this ambitious journey of yours. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now let's get into the episode. One of the things I love about my work in Undercover Architect and Live Life Build is that I get the opportunity to be exposed to and connected with a lot of information and people from all parts of the industry and also outside of the industry as I collaborate with and learn from those who are running businesses, especially online businesses in other industries and niches. And, you know, getting together in real life is always hugely beneficial, especially when you've had online collaborations and you've built relationships with specific colleagues. It's brilliant to find the opportunity to actually be in the same location as them so that you can connect in person. And the recent Australian Institute of Architects National Conference held in Canberra early in October this year, 2023, was a great example of this. I'd already booked to go when Sarah Lebner from Cooey Architecture approached me about co-presenting a session with her. If you missed out on information about me talking about that, I actually spoke about it in the last episode, episode 300, so you can learn more about what we actually presented there and what that session was about. Now, I've broken up my run through in this episode into three areas, content, community and communication in order to share what's been going on in the conversations that I've been seeing about architecture, particularly in Australia, but also in other locations most recently. So, let's first talk about content. Now, it's no surprise, but sustainability is underpinning a lot of the conversations and information that I'm hearing and each project is definitely being discussed in these terms. Recently, the architecture awards process actually changed to 
include sustainability as a criteria in every awards category, whereas previously it had just been its own award category. In other industry sectors, such as commercial, for example, we're seeing that sustainability is being approached from multiple angles. So this includes reducing operational and embodied energy, sourcing power from renewable sources that may not even be provided on site, but instead connected in with solar farms in remote or regional locations, for example, recycling and repurposing buildings rather than full demolition, biophilia and reviewing every single material and product for its life cycle, toxicity and source. Now, the success of all these approaches can be agreed on or disagreed on based on the projects themselves, but there are many schemes now which formally rate the buildings and audit their performance both during construction and operation. And most significantly, we're seeing developers actually achieving higher rentals and building valuations due to these measures. Tenants are seeking locations and buildings that are more in alignment with their own sustainability priorities. Something Peter Tonkin, who's an old boss of mine actually from Tonkin's Alike Greer, mentioned during a presentation that he did on mass timber construction was that he believed that the sustainability tools that are available don't actually give enough benefit for keeping things in a building. He spoke of their work at Walsh Bay and of the at the Bondi Pavilion, both award-winning projects for them. And the Bondi Pavilion in particular, it achieved five-star green star and they retained 85% of the existing building, which is huge when you think about it. Um, particularly given that there was lots of conversation about actually demolishing that building. Recycling isn't necessarily cost effective, as Peter pointed out, but the client was on board and it's a huge saving in resources as well. So it's really exciting to hear about this happening in projects. I'm also hearing more and more about the importance of collaboration in the production of projects and in making better informed decisions. Now, of course, this is something that we teach strongly at Undercover Architect. It was so encouraging to hear that it's happening at all scales of projects. And to also have representatives from other disciplines presenting at the conference was also super exciting. Now, specifically, the AIA's conference theme was unprecedented with the outline that stated, reflect on what has come before, focus on how we face the future and shape what is yet to come. So it was very much themed on reviewing what challenges we are specifically dealing with in the future, what we need to stop doing, start doing or keep doing in order to face these challenges. And as you can imagine, this heavily incorporated sustainability and responding to climate change. We heard about this not only from projects in Australia, but also overseas in places like Denmark, the UK and other locations that were presented. And it was really interesting to hear that a global practice like Henning Larsen, which is a, a, a global firm that's based in Denmark, has developed a research and development department with 25 multi, multidisciplinary staff. And that having that team actually enables them to model buildings that they're working on, to test theories, to optimise structural efficiency, to economise on, on material use and life cycle modelling. And this is what it can take to practice architecture at that skill and innovation. That level of collaboration and information input, it's quite extraordinary. I do feel that everywhere that I turn these days, which I, I just so love, that sustainability is core to the conversations about design, building and the, gen, and the industry generally. However, and especially online, I'm aware that, you know, this is a, this is, I'm living inside an algorithm which is feeding me more of the content that I most interact with. Uh, and because, you know, all I have to do is spend time in Facebook groups like Building Dream Homes Australia and I'll see that there's a good portion of, of homeowners and, and of professionals that 
don't have sustainability priorities when building or renovating. And as I said, it's not just homeowners, you know, design and building professionals as well who are designing homes with little consideration of the site's climatic needs or passive solar design methodologies. Now, I was recently interviewed by Brian and Simon as co-hosts of the Sustainable Builders Yak podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I highly encourage you to. Dwayne Pierce and I were uh, guests together. And one of the questions we were actually both asked was, how do we feel the industry is going with sustainability? Now, Duane and I both said that we didn't feel that the industry was doing enough and that there's so much scope for improvement and that there's large parts of the industry that are pushing back on improvements to things such as the you know national implementation of the National Construction Code, general building regulation improvements as well. Now, Brian, by contrast, was much more complimentary of the industry. He interpreted, I think, our frustrations as pessimism. He said he was much more optimistic. And for me, that's not the case at all. I actually followed up in the interview with an explanation that I worked on what's known as the Green Games. So that was the Sydney Olympics and that was obviously the Sydney Olympics were in 2000. So I was working on them through the late, through the 1990s and I recall how extensive the sustainability measures were for every part of that project. You know, everything was run through a life cycle analysis when back then that process was ridiculously labour intensive. The lighting towers down the main boulevards, which were part of the work that we did at Tonka Zalika, each of those towers had sufficient solar panels to run an individual home. The minimisation of waste in particular on all of the construction sites, that was industry leading globally uh, with bin separation of construction waste and serious waste waste management on site, serious waste reduction. And that was all because it was actually legislated for those that were involved. My university that I went to, the University of New South Wales in Sydney, when I was there, it was a world leader in solar research. And we were given so much education around environmental sustainability as part of our degree. And I graduated in 1997 and we're 26 years on from then. And I feel like, you know, there's some things that have radically progressed but we're still having so many of the same conversations and meeting the same opposition whenever these tried to be brought into, into projects and into the industry. And I, I see massive innovation regarding sustainability happening in various other sectors of the industry, but the individual residential home is in so many ways being left behind. It's still being built exactly as it was decades ago in many cases. And in many cases, it's actually being built in a much poorer quality way. So one of the things that I said to Brian was that it is it is so awesome. It really is so awesome to see that sustainability is being driven from individuals, you know, from, from individual professionals and from individual members of the public alike. I get really excited about that, about the conversations that I'm having with homeowners and industry alike about the importance of sustainability in the way that we create any kind of project. You know, this is the thing. We can create change through carrot or through stick. You know, carrot, we can, we can incentivize change or by stick, we can legislate change. And at the moment, I feel that many individuals are incentivized to create sustainable change because they see the promise and they see the purpose of doing so. You know, it aligns with their values and it just makes sense to them. But there's large parts of the industry that simply won't change until they're legislated to do so. And that's where I think we are really dragging our feet. And I'm still seeing designs from architects and designers that clearly don't consider climate. And I'm seeing professionals with the industry be slow to educate themselves on building science. And so I'm also seeing homeowners actually having to fight, and I mean fight, 
to get the sustainable outcome on their project. And when I mentioned this to Brian, he said, well, that just means that they've brought the wrong professional on board, doesn't doesn't it? And yeah, it does. And as with industry, not everyone's going to be great at their job or care about something as important about sustainability and climate resilience in the way that they design, build or renovate their projects. I just suppose I just have such a strong vision of how things can be. Like I can see it and I can see the role that this industry can play in each and every project that we bring to reality to improve the state of the climate, the environment and the impact impact that the built environment has. And so I know that I definitely do get impatient that we're not doing a better job and that we're not jumping into this boots and all. We've seen so much evidence in so many locations and projects that, em- that are embracing more sustainable choices and, and we're seeing that shift values and create more economical and more equitable benefits. And as demand builds, the sustainable choice actually becomes far more financially viable. And, you know, as I said, it's happening in all these other sectors and in all these other locations. I mean, it's happening in all these other sectors in Australia as well. And I, I recently saw a presentation during a sustainability summit from a company that is doing passive house certified high-rise student accommodation because the economic benefits of doing it at, at, as, passive, as Passive House certified are a total no-brainer in that really competitive arena. So, you know, surely we can be aiming higher in residential housing as well. Something that actually got spoke a lot about at the conference and I'm hearing in other circles as well and especially anytime someone from the Insurance Council is present on a panel – is that we actually can't afford to be creating buildings that aren't climate suitable and aren't climate resilient. And design, you know, great quality design that makes projects functional, durable and want to be retained over the long term is actually becoming an equity issue because what is often also said in these discussions is that those who can least afford to invest in new or retrofitted sustainable outcomes are those that are usually most impacted by it. And it really is, as I said, it's time that we stop dragging our feet about this. I know though that I'm preaching to the converted because you are here, you're educating and informing yourself about how to do this better. So let me move on from that. Now, one presentation that was really exciting to see at the Institute's National Conference was Clover Moore's keynote on Monday morning. So, Clover Moore is the Lord Mayor of Sydney and as her bio says, uh, she was elected in 2004, the first popularly elected woman to lead the City of Sydney. She's also the longest serving mayor since City Government Incorporation in 1842 and was re-elected for a fifth term in December 2021. And we heard Clover speak of how she got into politics based on the belief in the important role public spaces can play in the amenity and connection of communities and a determination to particularly improve where she lived. And we can we also got to hear just the immense power of a long-term vision that's founded on sustainability being played out across so many different types of projects and programs and her incredible persistence as she's outlasted so many different ministers and state premiers and really needed to pursue negotiations over and over as the people in these roles have changed. I really loved hearing from her. She role-modelled what it takes to actually deliver a vision and to galvanise action, to drive an agenda that's founded on purpose and, you know, what it's actually done to provide cultural, environmental, social and economic benefits. And I I found it was really inspirational. I, I personally wondered how she's managed to maintain her own personal resilience to the criticism I expect that she's received and managed to keep her tenacity through it all. She's clearly driven by something much bigger than herself. This long-term, long-range approach is becoming rarer and rarer in the way that we create our built environment. And one of the speakers at the conference actually said that permanence only exists when people fall in love with something. 
And they asked us, how do we actually make architecture that does that? They also posited that permanence as a philosophy is not necessarily a luxury that our generation of architects can potentially indulge in in the same way that previous generations of architects built projects. And so we need to be thinking about resource and material use. Another theme that ran through many of the presentations is how our architecture is respecting and responding to the traditional ownership of the land on which we're building these projects. And this is something that the architectural industry generally has been addressing for some time. Uh, it's often referred to as designing with country. It's been a key part of our continuing professional development in architecture um, for, for a little time now and also, of course, in project execution in many sectors. And there were several speakers delivering content on this topic shared from the various different angles. So both instructional in how we can adopt a respectful and integrative approach uh, in our projects and then also in sharing stories of project examples and demonstrated various approaches to designing with country. Now, further to this, Stan Grant was the keynote speaker at the conference on Monday afternoon. And for those who are not familiar with Stan Grant, I'll just read his bio. So, Stan Grant is a renowned journalist, author, moral philosopher, thinker, filmmaker and communicator. He has had a groundbreaking four-decade career as one of Australia's most awarded journalists, a Wiradjuri Camilla Roy and Darawal Mann, Stan has blazed a trail for First Nations journalists. In a career of firsts, he was the first Indigenous political correspondent, the first Indigenous foreign correspondent, he was the first Indigenous person to present a primetime commercial television news and current affairs program. And Stan's presentation was the last of the day on Monday, which was the first day of our conference. So, and I want to tell you, you could have heard a pin drop in the main hall, which held 700 plus architects as he delivered his keynote. Now, you know how you'll go to conferences and you'll get these keynote speakers who may not be in the industry that they're speaking to, but they'll pander to the crowd. They'll talk up the industry. They'll praise it for what it does. They'll discuss all the things they think we need to celebrate. They'll really do speak to get audience approval and acknowledgement about what praise they, you know, they're dishing out and the way that they're talking about the industry that they're addressing, <laughs> not Stan Grant. You know, what I thought was incredible about Stan's keynote was that it appeared that he had very carefully and clearly thought about what he wanted to say to us and he had absolutely no concerns about whether we'd like hearing it or not. And it was clear from the uneasy shuffling that you could see from some parts of the audience that not everyone was comfortable with what he was saying. Now, I'm often grab grappling with how to distill what I'm learning about designing with country into the part of the industry that Undercover Architect helps and supports you with. So, your individual home, you know, how do I help you understand about designing with country when you're renovating or building your individual home? A home that represents your most significant final financial asset usually. You know, it's, it's also the building that you've chosen to provide shelter to your family. It represents a lot of personal hard work and investment, but yet it's on land that was never actually ceded. We're building wealth on land that was on some, on, at some point taken and it's been bought and sold since. You know, we didn't personally take it, but we are the beneficiaries of the fact that it was taken at some point and it continues to be traded with value. And it's a really challenging and difficult topic to discuss at individual home ownership level, you know, to discuss what responsibility we ha we take in the way that the system works and continuing to operate inside it, you know, feeding it in a way. And I know that I've mentioned it here and there. And as I learn more about designing with country, I've really struggled with how it translates to the exercise of 
building and renovating an individual home. So to hear Stan Grant talk about his views on architecture and real estate to an audience of architects, well, it was it was it was big. So let me share some of what he said. And this may be confronting and contentious, but I'll explain a bit more afterwards about why I wanted to share this with you. And I hope that you'll keep an open mind as I do share this information. So Stan talked about his own childhood of living in a car with his family or intents on on a family's property, of not having much, but of loving what they had and of a deep connection to land, nature and country through all of it, of his deep and consistent relationship with his culture and his country. Stan talked about this experience of not having a home, but instead living beyond borders and of the natural environment of country being better than any building. He said that architecture is an act of creative destruction, that all architecture starts with an axe taken to a tree. And he spoke of how we measure our success by real estate, but what does that mean of our aspirations? He asked us, what is architecture if not the act of keeping someone out of borders and fences and of possession? And he talked about the simple act of even just going to the beach these days and seeing the massive tents that people now stake out. You know, the ones, the big square ones that are often striped in appearance, people claiming their piece of the beach. A simple umbrella doesn't do it anymore. This bit of beach is mine, keep out. And he called this entrenched colonisation, defining yourself by how much space you can take up and kicking others out. He suggested that so much construction is about who we are and a look at me approach. He said that building bigger is about possession, but we don't have to make this choice. He also said that every building comes from the idea of terra nullius or no man's land, that all beautiful buildings are built on land where blood was spilled. He asked us, what is our complicity in the world that we've created? And he told us that we couldn't pretend that what we do isn't an act of violence. All construction is temporary, an act of violence, possession, definition. Without architecture, we stare into an open sky and we live in country, which he believes to be the most beautiful thing. Now, at this point, (laughs) I was wondering if this was his opportunity to tell us that what we do is pointless and we should just all stop it altogether. But, you know, that wasn't it at all. He actually shared a story about his dad and how his his dad gave language lessons of their Indigenous language to all sorts of people and got criticised about why he would be teaching his Indigenous language to non-Indigenous people. And his dad said something to him that really stuck with him. He said that language doesn't tell us who we are, it tells us where we are. I'm just going to repeat that. Language doesn't tell us who we are, it tells us where we are. And Stan correlated this with our architecture as well. He said our buildings can tell us where we are. Instead, we've been using them to share who we are. For example, the Queen Victoria building in Sydney is a piece of Britain imposed on the landscape instead of an opportunity to create something that shares where we are. Now, Stan, after he did his keynote, he actually sat down with a panel afterwards and that panel included the National President of the Institute, architect Shannon Batterson, And questions were then sourced from the audience and discussed. And one question was from friend of UA, uh, Sarah Lebner, and she asked this, what needs to change in our collective mindset to move away from a culture of possession? What's the action towards an alternative? And Stan replied that 
We need to remember that we're not Europeans, that we've been indigenized at some level. Australia is not a conscious act. It's been made up on the run and we can't make it a home until we've made peace with who we are and we can't create a home here until we are home here. And Shannon interestingly also pointed out that human beings are the only animals that don't hide their homes, which I thought was a fascinating observation. Humans are the only animals that don't hide their homes. Now, what's the point with me sharing this, all of you? Is it, you know, you're probably wondering, Amelia, you're just trying to shame and guilt us about what we're doing in our own project or are you suggesting that architecture and building is a wasted act of destruction and possession and we should all walk away from it? No, that's not it at all. I think for me, there were three main things that I took away from Stan's presentation and conversation. The first was this his completely unapologetic way of expressing his thoughts and views on how our industry operates and what it represents and its role in some significant challenges that are playing out for us, particularly in Australia, yet they're playing out all over the world. He really didn't pull any punches and he wasn't looking to pander to us as his audience at all. Now, as someone personally, I can find that I can sometimes be concerned about whether I'll offend or I'll upset those that I'm speaking with, you know, what I bring here on the podcast, if I'm speaking my mind about something that I truly believe in. And for me, this was amazing to witness, you know, none of what he said was a personal attack. He discussed the act of building and what buildings can and do do. And it was up to us if and how we personalize that information and then what we were going to do to take action on it. Now, the second thing for me was that I heard things and I heard him speak about things in a way that I'd never heard before, which when you're almost 30 years into an industry talking and hearing about architecture, it's no mean feat to hear something about architecture that you haven't heard before. Now, that doesn't mean it's not been said before, but we all know that we can hear things over and over and it just be the right person saying the right things that means that that information lands with us and it resonates in some way. I've always thought of design and architecture as a means of space creation and space curation, but to see it also as an act of possession, which it is, of course, by virtue of what you do as you place buildings on bits of land, I found that really interesting. The third thing that I really took away from it was that our architecture, in fact, anything we build, it needs to be of its place, that there's so much to celebrate and bring into the way that we design and build that's more respectful of where we are, wherever that is. And I thought that this was really interesting, you know, to be thinking about as we create homes in particular, so that we're not just appropriating styles and trends from overseas all the time, but we're creating built environments that feel at home in our landscape. However, I do know that during his presentation, I watched some audience members really squirm. There was a lot of discomfort in that audience. So for me, my goal in the moment and continuing on is that I want to stay open. I want to absorb the information. I'm still continuing to process what it means for me and how I work on an ongoing basis. In fact, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm bringing it to you here because I think that resharing it is an important part of that processing. And so that's the spirit in which I offer it, you know, with an open mind to your open mind. These are really big conversations to be having about architecture and the built environment and the role that it plays in the everyday lives of everyone that it impacts, which is pretty much every single one of you, either directly or indirectly. And I do want to think more about helping you figure out how your project can speak to where it is, because in that, I feel that you'll create a more climate resilient, a more sustainable and a more climate climatically suitable home, as well as really develop the vernacular that's specific to our built environment, wherever that is. Now, 
I've spent a heck of a lot of time discussing the first topic of content. So let's just briefly go over the other two areas that I wanted to mention, community and communication. So here's a brief mention on community. So Undercover Architect, if you've probably heard me say this before, it runs on a mantra of a rising tide floats all boats. And so I really love meeting and connecting with others who also operate their businesses similarly. And whilst there are still sectors of the industry that are pale, male and stale, it is super exciting to see, I think, a changing of the guard of new views and new role models taking the helm and as a result, really changing the dialogue that we have at these events and generally in the industry. There's significantly more knowledge sharing happening, more details being discussed about costs, economic benefits, client conversations, what's working, what's not working, and all of the learnings along the way. There's so much more abundance happening in the approach that many have, which is super exciting to see. Because in the past, I've felt that it's often really felt super competitive, concealed behind closed doors, and any learnings have been held as an advantage to those who believe they can leverage them for further work and revenue. So as I mentioned up front, It's always fantastic to connect in real life with people that I've only known online. And also, I really love getting to see people that I worked with, you know, some 20 and 30 years ago and and spending time catching up with them. I also loved at this conference seeing and, and at the events that I'm attending generally, seeing the significant increase in the number of women that are attending these conferences. I've had so many experiences earlier in my career where I was one of only a handful of women in the room. And that's not how rooms are looking these days, which is really awesome to see. There was also the occasional kid at this conference as well, which was a super different experience to years past and something that I loved seeing. Now, in preparation for our presentation at the conference, Sarah, Rachel, Beck and I, we actually spoke with each other about how we can see that there can be two architectures in the industry. It's often joked about as big A architecture and little A architecture. Now, I wrote about this years ago on Undercover Architects' website. I'll pop the link to that blog post in the resources. But to fill you in here, so big A architecture, it's the award-winning high-end statement architecture. You know, the stuff that can feel out of reach for many. It speaks to the belief that architecture is an artistic pursuit that's about pushing boundaries and redefining what's possible. And And unfortunately, the client's wishes and wants are often thought of as secondary to this. And the opposite of this can often get discussed as little a architecture, which I actually think is part of the problem because it implies that it's smaller or it's lesser. Now, through this delineation between big A and little a architecture, I think it feels like the real role of architecture has been corrupted through how architecture is represented to you, the community that we ultimately serve. Through the awards, the egos and what is celebrated, the actual work of architecture to support and shape human behaviour in spaces and places and improve the quality of life for all, it's been totally warped. So I'm happy to say that I'm meeting more and more architects who are passionate about little a architecture, or as I like to call it, it's just architecture. You know, they're doing projects that are meaningful, that elevate your experience, that make the most of the time and money invested in creating them, that are sustainable, energy efficient and durable, and that make lives better overall. And it's always interesting to be in these communities because, you know, of course, I get the architects saying to me, sorry, what do you do? Or how's that little blog of yours going? Or why on earth do you spend so much time providing free education? 
And then I get architects saying to me, it is so awesome to work with clients who've educated themselves with Undercover Architect first, or I send my potential clients to your website and podcast whilst they're still deciding on what they're going to do um, so that they can be doing some great research before they get started. Now I'm getting fewer and fewer architects saying the former to me as the community I find changes in this industry and architects become more and more passionate about elevating the built environment overall for, for all and about helping their clients get educated about it and not just the few buildings or few clients that we've seen in the past. Now, lastly, let me talk about communication. Okay, so there are three themes that I'm hearing in the world of architecture generally being discussed around how we as architects think about communication and this especially came through at the conference. So, these three themes are firstly, Architects with our knowledge and experience are well positioned to create solutions to many of the problems that we're seeing. So, for example, more affordable housing doesn't mean housing that's just built more cheaply. It means coming up with different models of housing, different building typologies, different construction methodologies, different material use as well. And architects are really well placed to kind of dive into all of that. Secondly, with their skills and abilities and being at the beginning of the line in decision making about projects and places, architects actually have a responsibility to be driving more sustainable and equitable outcomes, compelling and educating clients to make more informed decisions about these things. And thirdly, architects need to work on the way that the industry communicates with the general public about the value of design, the role of architects and the ways that the built environment can be improved. Now, something that I learned very early on in Undercover Architect and that I mentioned during the presentation that we had at the conference is that I believe that you, the homeowner, actually see architects as a professional with knowledge, experience and authority in design. However, what I feel that we lack, what we don't have as a culture, especially in Australia, is a common definition of the word design. And I think that's, you know, thanks to the way that design, especially when it comes to architecture, is often presented in the public realm. Design can be seen as purely aesthetic, uh, usually boundary pushing, often polarising, high end and all about styling and trends. And it's tricky because the aspirational way that property is generally presented will feed into the way that architecture is promoted and celebrated as high end, award winning aspirational homes. But when you look at magazines like Sanctuary, for example, sharing much more real and relatable projects and stories. If we as an industry really want more people to believe that architecture is for them at all levels, then the conversation that we have about architecture and the way it appears in the public realm needs to be more real and relatable. And interestingly, there were a few sessions at the conference on communication. Sessions were being presented on how do we make architecture more part of a general conversation because we know we can do all these things. So how do we get the public to care and what's our role in advocating with government and the private sector as well? Presenters at a session that was called Communicating Architecture actually discussed a 2021 client feedback report that was prepared by the Australian Institute of Architects and the leading answer to the question that was uh, right up the front of the survey um, called Factors of Importance for Clients Regarding Service and Relationship Expectations, the leading answer to that was that they communicate effectively. Now, I know in the nine plus years that I've been running Undercover Architect, a lot of what I've learned about comms and marketing and online education has not come from inside architecture. It's come from industries all outside of architecture. And so, it was really great to hear this type of information actually being taught at an event like the conference and architects themselves being given strategies to assist with their communication overall. I'm regularly telling the great operators in this industry that I need more of them out there sharing their stories and their knowledge so that you as a homeowner can actually find them. All right, now I've chatted longer than I intended, so I actually want to wrap up this conversation. 
I thought I'd summarise with three hopes or three impacts that I would love to see all of this type of conversation that I feel is happening in the industry at the moment. At, well, definitely parts of the industry that I'm exposed to and involved in. I thought I'd take you through what these three hopes or impacts that I think sort of sum up where, where I feel we're at. So the first one, this is my hope, that sustainability is used as the foundational approach to all projects and at the very least – Every single residential project is designed with orientation and climate in mind. The second is that we recognise the power and possibility of creating architecture in all ways that demonstrates where we are. And thirdly, that the industry overall becomes much better at celebrating, sharing and educating about the merits of design and it uses its skills and abilities to positively impact and improve affordability and accessibility of good design so that it's not a luxury for only those that can afford it. Okay, so I hope you found that helpful and I hope you found that deep dive into what I really took away from the conference and from general conversations that I've been having about architecture uh, lately and seeing what we might be moving towards through 2024. I hope you found it helpful to be behind the doors of all of that. Now, a few reminders before I finish up. Remember, I've got a full transcript of this episode. You can grab a free download of it. I've also got links to a couple of the resources I mentioned. That's all at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 301. That's the numbers 301. Now, if you are in the industry, if you're a like-minded industry professional, whatever part of the industry you're from, you help homeowners renovate or build their homes and you'd like to work more closely with Undercover Architect community members, please get in touch by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army, A-R-M-Y. I would love to learn more about you and your business and be able to put you in front of more homeowners who want to find you. And of course, if you would like to feel more confident in control as you learn the, st the steps from start to finish of your project journey, if you'd like more structured help and guidance, if you want to create a great home that you love living in, then my flagship online program, Home Method, is definitely the place for you. You'll receive coaching, you'll access a community of amazing and super informed homeowners that are on a similar journey to you. It's the only place that you can get my personalized support and guidance and there's incredible content in there that will guide you through every step and every decision in your project journey. And you can find out more about Home Method by heading to the Undercover Architect website and also to homemethod.com.au. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. 